Hello, everybody. My name is Jamie Christine, and welcome to my podcast, Transcend, where I hope to open minds, expand consciousness, and raise vibration by talking about anything and everything that does just that. And I am a spiritual life coach, author, and entrepreneur. And today we are chatting with Sammy Sadakario. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. We were just chatting before I hit the record button and oh my gosh, like all these great conversations. So this is going to be a good one. Yeah. It's so funny. Every time we talk, we're like, we just need to record this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. We're finally recording it. <laughs> finally. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a life coach. I call myself the creative story worker. I guide people-pleasing creatives on their journey to unconditional self-love through my creativity ignition method, um, which you and I have discussed is, you know, yes. is journaling, bullet journaling, interactive journaling, uh, yeah. learning how to release our inner demons through writing. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. So what brought you to uh, that particular work? Because I personally have had so many great awakenings and my own healing done through journaling that it's really exciting to hear other people's stories. So what brought you to that? Oh, it's funny. It was kind of roundabout. Um, I used to be an actress. I was an actress, singer, musical theater person for many years, um, did many things in the creative industry. And I was working and I was very unhealthy. I had chronic pain. I had uh, severe anxiety, depression, mood swings, you name it. My periods were terrible. Um, and I was just super unhealthy. I was about 60 pounds overweight. Wow. I spent uh, a year learning how to build healthy habits. Um, I did this year long program and it changed my life. And after doing so many diets growing up and being in the performing industry with all these terrible views of, of food and how we should and shouldn't eat, I was like, um, everyone needs to know about this and I want to be somebody to teach it. So I decided to get my nutrition coaching cert and become a nutrition coach. Fast forward, COVID hit. <laughs> um, and I was working at a gym, get, becoming a personal trainer, trying to do nutrition coaching. I was a yoga teacher as well. And when COVID hit, I knew that I wanted to start coaching online. So I just jumped into a community and a coach's community. I watched this live video with this man, Mark England, who uh, developed story work out of Thailand and, um, and I got, I volunteered to go up and do a, one of my own traumas and talk through one of my own traumas on in front of a bunch of people. And he called me afterwards and said, Sammy, you will be a great story work coach. And I said, dang it, you're right. <laughs> so I jumped in head first and immediately part of the curriculum was keeping a journal, was keeping a magic wand, which is your pen. You use your pen to change your life. So it became a huge part of who I am. I, I'm actually a really wonderful note taker. <laughs> so I was able to use, and I love taking notes. Like I had a seventh grade teacher who was, who taught us how to outline well. Oh, cool. And so I was able to take these notes and really implement it into my journaling. And now I'm able to take everything from those journals, type it up and give it to my clients. I love so that. 
worksheets and stuff. So journal, journaling has saved me in so many ways and story work has saved me so many ways. <laughs> and now it is the foundation of my coaching. I love that. That is so cool. And I can totally relate to that too, because I mean, my whole journey of journaling has been pretty self-guided, but I love that there are programs out there and that you're offering something in that program or within that world, like helping other people to discover, yeah, the power of their own magic wand. I love that, by the way, like I'm going to look at my pen as a magic wand forever. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, as Mark says, abracadabra, with my words, I create. Yes. I love that. So what is the process of story work? Cool. So um, what I personally do with people-pleasing creatives is get rid of self-doubt. So, Mm -hmm. you know, finding out where you're doubting yourself. Often it's from teachers. You have uh, things that stories, identities that teachers, your parents, a bully in school, um, often an abuser uh, told you and you now tell yourself and you have that ruminating in your head and in your body because your body remembers our bodies don't know the difference between what's happening now and a memory. So continuously repeating these stories over and over again. And as somebody with chronic pain, I was doing that all the time. And I, I still do something happens and I'll, I'll realize that, Oh, this triggered a story in me. This is still living in me. What do I, and then I go write it down. Mm. So story work um, it's really beautiful. It's a four-step process. We take stories, we title it, write it out conversationally, and we read it out loud, read it out loud at 50% speed, and then read it out loud at 50% speed with a deep, low, and slow breath at every punctuation mark. Mm. And you can see, you can literally see the body release the story and the words oh. and the identity. And then what I always say to my clients is once we turn the dial down on the trauma drama and the BS, we can turn up the person we want to be. Yes. And the version of ourselves and the beliefs that we want to hold about ourselves, and then take action steps and create habits and create a lifestyle to match that. I love that so much. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just a blast. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of fun. Um, I assume that's what prompted you to ask that question on that writer's group on Facebook, which is how you and I met, uh, because I remember you posting, um, if anyone has taken their trauma and created a story out of it, basically, I can't remember the exact words you used, but (laughs) I can't remember either, but that's exactly it. And I find that writers are my favorite people to work with because our stories are so detailed. Yes. So my favorite clients are writers because they give such intricate details into their memories and they're able to really tap into it. And they're also the ones that are often holding on to it the most. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I was, I reached out or I had responded to that post that you made because I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I did to write my book, The Transcendent. <laughs> Only I did, I just kind of created it out of my head. I had several different traumas and experiences that I had in my life. And somehow I ended up taking the emotional component of what I went through, removed the physical aspect of it, and then took characters that I just created off the top of my head and gave them a physical story that was nothing like what I went through physically. 
but their emotional processing of that physical story is what I went through emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to relive the physical experience through these characters. I got to send them through their own physical experience, but I did get to process and unload the emotional experience that I went through. And yeah, I took what was a traumatic birth experience for me as a mother, bringing my first child into the world, into these teenagers, you know, living their life with a football career ahead of them. And this girl who's a social outcast because she has this strange ability to cross dying souls over to the other side when they're dying alone. (laughs) So cool. And it's such a book. I have it sitting on my nightstand right now, like waiting for me to dig into. Yeah. Once I finish my, the, my favorite murder book. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Got to have your priorities. I'm the kind of person that reads like four or five books at the same time. So well, like, let's be real. I have three other books that I'm reading as well, not to mention two audiobooks, daily <laughs> articles, and then I'm writing all the time. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Now, do you ever, do you have intentions of ever writing like a novel or a story or like a, like a book or manuscript of some sort yourself? I do have intentions. Right now, as a solopreneur, it is so difficult to write anything, to sit down and write. Um, but I have a few things I want to work on. I have, um, a book of unsent letters and I've already, it's already written. And that's the thing. I just need to compile it and I will. Um, I wrote, uh, a lover unsent letters for months and months and months. And there was so much pain in our relationship that, I mean, he was my muse. Um, so, and it's a really relatable, I, don't want to give the title away. Yeah, it is a good title. So I, I have really strong, uh, and he knows that I'm gonna that I'm writing it. Um, uh, I have a really a strong book there, and then the other one, I think it'll be short stories. I imagine or monologues, depending. I've never written any. Sh- I've never written in um, in like novel form or short story form. I've only written in playwriting or screen. Gotcha before so um because that's my background was I wrote two one woman shows I wrote plays I wrote monologues very Uh, cool uh but it's about my building my apartment building so the building that I'm in super cool it found me this this place found me it was the day after my ex and I broke up and we were living together and I was like okay I guess I'll go on Craigslist and see what's out there and I this was the first place I saw the first place I found and I immediately was in love with it and I saw it right before I left town for a month. And I, I came and saw it and put, and, and put in an offer. And it was, it used to be a home for battered women. Ooh. It was built in 1907, um, which is like when this area became a part of Seattle. So it has this huge history. And I've been digging into the research. Mm. I've had some like visions of who the women here might be. Oh, wow. But um but I have research that I want to do first. Seattle's really well known for having a, an interesting female community, especially because um, during this huge Seattle fire, there was some crazy stuff that went down um, in the early 1900s. One of the biggest financiers, is that the word financiers? Sure. Financiers, I guess. Financiers. Money. The money was yeah. um, a madam. Oh, wow. So there's a really interesting history of, of 
women in Seattle. Um, so I'm really interested in digging into that and telling those stories and writing those. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then probably make them, making them relatable for whoever's reading them to get something out of that in relation to what their own story is, what they're going through. Exactly. Well, you know, with my, all of my work being self-love, unconditional self-love and all of my messaging being around that and turning down how trauma lives in the body. I have a lot of women reach out to me who come from toxic relationships and who come from abuse everywhere, everywhere. Mm -hmm. I feel like every woman that I know, I mean, when I left my toxic relationship, my mom opened up about hers. Oh, wow. So I feel like all these women are coming out of the woodwork to say, hey, I'm in this toxic relationship. I'm not ready to leave, but I'm ready to start loving myself. Mm. So this building, I say to my neighbors all the time, I'm like, this place found me. And they're like, you're right. (laughs) meant to be here. (laughs) Help the souls of the past as well as the souls of the present. Exactly. And I think the souls of the present forget that there are souls of the past. You know, mm. it's cool to live in such an old building and, and my neighbors have, who've all been here for like 13 years. Yeah. Uh, and to hear the stories of just people who live there. Anyway, enough about my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that though. I feel like just, well, it was actually kind of funny. I remember a lot of people's new year's resolutions for 2020 were all geared around. This is my year of self care. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to learn to say no. I'm going to learn to set boundaries. And this is going to be my year where I take me back. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened. I'm like, Oh, look, the universe is trying to help us out with our new year's resolutions. <laughs> And what's interesting is that we have this diluted version of what self-care is. Oh my gosh. I totally agree. I have so many clients. I, one of my clients brought this to me. She sent me a video. She was like, I finally understand self-care. I feel like I've been kind of proclaiming that to myself just in the last several months. Like, oh my gosh, this is what it means to put me first in a loving way. I mean, because a lot of people have always associated that self-care and self-love with being selfish. And it's like, yeah, it can be if you're putting yourself first without any regard for anybody else's feelings and you don't care if putting yourself first is going to hurt them, then yeah, that's selfish. But if you're putting yourself first so that you can become a better person, that's only going to benefit everybody else around you, then there's, that should be your priority. Exactly. You can't fill from an empty cup. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I have tried. <laughs> we all have. And I think, I think it's almost kind of like a generational pattern, like for women, especially it's just passed down from all of the women before us, because it seems like in our culture, women are just the caretakers and they're not supposed to take care of themselves because they're too busy taking care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there's this guilt around putting ourselves first. I've, I've come across so many women, especially in my life coaching journey, as I've started working with different people, learning about how they just feel guilty putting themselves first and taking time out for them. Like, oh, I'm going to leave dad with the kids for the weekend so I can go with a couple girlfriends out of town. And they feel terrible about that to where they can't even enjoy their trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just amazing. Like, no, you deserve to go away. You deserve time for yourself. Well, you know, and it's interesting that, Jamie, I think that a vacation is an extreme example. 
because so many women don't even know how to feed themselves first. Yeah. You know, I talked to so many people who were like, oh, I don't eat because I'm feeding everyone around me first. And I'm like, I totally hear you. You're a caretaker. It is your responsibility to take care of those people. But what happens when you start withering away emotionally and physically? Are you going to be there to take care of them? Yeah. You know, right. and that's, that's tough. So like baby steps before taking a vacation. This is very, very true. Because yeah, if you dive right into that taking a vacation, there's no way you're even going to know how to enjoy that vacation because you haven't taken those steps to even know how to feed yourself first and be okay with that. Exactly. And I feel too, you know, people, people who put themselves in that caretaker position where they don't take care of themselves at all, or at least don't put enough priority on taking care of themselves. It, it is just totally counterproductive because if you are trying to take care of everybody else, but you are depleting yourself at the same time, then you're taking away the opportunity for you to be a healthy person in that person's life, a happy, positive influence. I mean, because think about it, how many people are depressed and how many people are full of anxiety? How many people are just miserable in their lives? How much better would they be if they took the time to take care of themselves? And then they'd just be that extra positive light in the people's lives that they care about. I would say that the majority of Westerners have a high anxiety. Oh my gosh. That's the pandemic. <laughs> anxiety is the pandemic. Well, it really is. It, uh, oh my gosh, what was I reading? That it's a, it is a virus mm-hmm. that because our bodies attack ourselves. Yes. Yes. You know, our, we're attacking our own minds. And then once again, our mind is directly related to their bodies. So our body's attacking itself. You can literally stress yourself into being sick. I, I've seen it. I've been a massage therapist for 12 years and I have seen that over and over and over. Uh, I took a class called touch for health back in 2016. And that's, it's kind of like tying in Chinese medicine concepts with the physical body. So it targets, or it looks at the meridian system. So we've got the, these energy channels that run through the body, uh, 14 different major ones. And I learned that each of these meridians correlate to a set of emotions, a group of muscles, organs, just systems of the body that we are just this big synergistic machine. It's pretty incredible. But through that, I started noticing, you know, where these meridian lines run, what emotions they're associated with. And when I have a client on my table with a pain in this particular area or this particular associated muscle group, when they start opening up on the table about their emotional life, it goes in direct correlation with the meridians and with those muscles. And it all just, I keep seeing it tying together. I can't tell you, for instance, how many people are on my table with sciatic pain and they have underlying relationship issues going on. I see that correlation so many times. How many people with plantar fasciitis are stuck, unable to move forward in their lives, feet, you know, are all in, are responsible for moving us forward. There's just so many things, elbow and knee pain, joint pains and stuff like that. How flexible are you in your life? Are you willing to bend? Are you willing to move? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of my favorite resources for that information is Louise Hay. Uh, she does. Yes. I, I love, love Louise Hay. <laughs> Yay. Oh my gosh. She came up with a whole lot of really cool correlating concepts of how we're treating ourselves emotionally and how that's affecting us physically. Mm. It's, it's just incredible. It's really interesting. 
um, I have two parts to this. One, I have a story work coach friend who is a massage therapist who utilizes story work with her massage clients. Oh my gosh. I want to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a bunch of, there's a, quite a few, um, healers and, and, and hands-on workers who use story work as well. And I find it to be miraculous. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm sure. I also, um, I, you know, when you mentioned the hip thing, so I've had hip issues for a long time, previous answer. Um, but I noticed that my sciatica really does act up when I'm fighting with a partner. Wow. So you experienced that firsthand. Absolutely. Firsthand and, and said it too. And been like, listen, this is, I know for a fact that when you and I are fighting about our relationship, my, my hip acts up and it was so it like it helped change our our dynamic of being able to talk but yeah. just wild wow i that's incredible i'm i've run into a situation in my massage therapy career that not many of my clients are really open to exploring the emotional component to their physical pain they just want to lay on my table and have me rub the knots out of their muscles and i keep seeing these opportunities for deeper healing on that emotional level but they're just like, they're very hesitant to open up. I think there's a fear surrounding that kind of vulnerability to, to explore those kind of deeper emotions. Do you find that when doing your story work that people are kind of hesitant to really go there? Yeah. The first, the first two sessions, um, are usually me pulling things out of clients. Yeah. Um, and then once they get it, they're in it. it. You know, it depends. Once again, writers put everything on the page, put yeah. everything on the page. Um, my other types of creative clients, it takes a little bit more work. They're like, oh, I've already processed this. And um, my response is, then why is it still affecting you? Mm -hmm. If you've already processed people think that they've processed things. Hey, like my partner thinks he's processed things. And we were, we've been talking about story work for a while. Cause I'm like, you clearly haven't processed this. Um, myself, I, I said to myself, oh, I've processed that guilt. Um, I processed the guilt of something uh, that I did to somebody else. I gossiped and ended up, um, hurting them, hurting their reputation and something and felt incredibly terrible because that's not who I want to be. Right. And it's not who I am. And I, I made a bad choice and, um, I sat with that guilt for a long time and it lived in my stomach and I have trouble eating. And I was like, Oh, I processed it. I apologize. I worked through, I went and, and told all the people that I was wrong and that ABC, but it was still living in me and story work pulls it out. I'm going to have to sign up for a session with you because I, I mean, I'm, I'll be the first to admit, I still have internalized guilt that I think I'm okay. Like I, I, it's, it's funny because there's like this logical part of me. That's like, everything happens for a reason. What I did propelled us farther into our journeys of the path that we're supposed to be on. And yes, I made bad choices too but the people that were affected by it are where they're supposed to be in their life, or it seems like they are. And I'm also where I'm supposed to be in my life. And I feel like, you know, I've apologized. I've explained myself. I've explained my side of things. 
but still it's in me. It's like, oh my gosh, I did that. I'm a horrible person. And I, and it's interesting because I know it's there, but I never really knew like, what do I have to do to get this out of me for good to reconcile with this? So it isn't festering inside of me. Exactly. So the festering. Yes. Good way of putting it. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, I would love to work with you. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, what's cool about it is the next step is then um, we call them mystical translations. Mm. It's using your words to create affirmations. Oh my gosh. I love that. So I take, so, you know, affirmations is all over the place. Everyone's like, yeah, I have this, these three pages of affirmations. And I'm like, you have three pages of affirmations. Chances are you're not really using any of them. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm on affirmation overload. Exactly. And you know, affirmations are something that you can repeat to yourself as a tool in the moment to move through, to change your, your mind, uh, brain rewiring. And what's interesting is taking, um, is, is seeing somebody's words, seeing something that maybe a client's like repeated a few times, taking that sentence. And it's usually like a projection or, or a, a negation. So taking the, um, the externalizing words and bringing them inward. Mm. So something like one that I always use is you don't love me enough, Ooh. you know, cause that was one that I was saying to a partner, you don't love me enough. You don't love me enough. And it, it hits me in the heart too. When I say it out loud, um, is turning around and saying, I don't love me enough. And then taking out the negations to affirmations. So taking out the don't and saying, I love me enough. And then taking out the pressure of that and making it, I can love me enough. And the next step for me, this is, and this is where the creativity comes in. And this yeah. is the magic, right? And for me, and then it ended with, I can love me more. Mm. Ah, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a strong affirmation. I, um, I had another coach bring me through a, a trauma that I experienced recently where somebody said to me, hmm, seems my potion is working. And that freaked me out, right? Super freaky. Hmm. Um, and we turned it around and it came out to, I am my magic. Ooh. So that's my affirmation right now. I am my own magic. I love that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that ties in with the law of attraction is the first thing that popped into my head. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really are our own magic. Like we create our own reality all the time. With our words. Yes. Abracadabra. Yes. Yeah. I mean, listen to how you transformed that, that you went from, you don't love me enough to I can love me more. Like, yeah. And, and if you keep repeating, you don't love me enough. I feel like you attract what your words are putting out there. You're going to keep attracting, not being loved enough. Mm. But if you can reword that to like you did to where I can love me, I love me. I can love me more then you're just going to constantly attract that kind of energy and vibration into your life. Well, it's so interesting. So we have like the law of attraction and, and um, attracting these different energies and vibrations. But on a scientific level in our brains, we have the reticular activation system. Mm, yes. And this is the data filter. So, you know, that moment, you know, you get a new car 
Let's mm-hmm. say you're getting a, a Chevy truck, you get it. And then all of a sudden you see Chevy trucks everywhere. Yes. That's the reticular activation system. Those trucks were already there, but you weren't seeing them because you weren't tuned in. Mm-hmm. Goes the same way for our, what we call conflict language, our negative language, our negative self-talk. When we have some negative self-talk, we're going to continue to see the negative. Mm-hmm. In order and turning down the stories and turning up the positive self-talk, you create more positive. You create more wins. Yes. It's not easy to do on your own. It's really not. And there's definitely a lot of societal pressure too. The first thing that popped in my head when you were telling, uh, talking about the reticular activation system is the news, for instance. Yes. I tell <laughs> my clients all the time to stop watching the news. Yeah. And when anything is reported, like even on social media, because it's one thing to turn the TV off. I mean, like, I do not have any kind of news channels, any, anything on my TV. I've stopped listening to the radio. Like I'll listen to podcasts in my car if I'm driving, no radio, no TV news, but it still pops up in like social media and stuff like get the latest on COVID and all this. I am constantly unfollowing, hiding, see less of this. Don't show me things like this, constantly hitting those buttons. I don't want it. And let me tell you what, my world is pretty chill and easygoing and I really haven't dealt with any fear, any anxiety, and I'm watching all these people out in the world right now during this pandemic, watching all the latest on the numbers and the, you know, whatever's going on out there. I honestly don't know anymore, (laughs) but you know, these people who are really wrapped up in it are constantly fear ridden and Mm -hmm. anxiety ridden Mm -hmm. to the point where I know there's somebody uh, who's kind of on their deathbed right now. And a family member from out of town is too afraid to step out of the house during this pandemic that they won't come up and see their dying family member. And it's like, wait, you guys, where have your priorities gone? And it's like, if you can just turn the news off for a period of time and just recalibrate yourself and get yourself tuned into the positives and start appreciating the things in your life, in your immediate world, and see how good things are in your life then yeah, you start reprogramming your brain to start looking at those things. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, life is really great right now. My world is wonderful. (laughs) You'd literally change your reality. We hear all the time about gratitude practices. Mm -hmm. You just said, my life is really great right now. And once again, I don't think people understand why we do gratitude practices, Mm -hmm. why, what the importance of that Mm -hmm. is. Um, Because we're rewiring our brains to see the positive. Yes. And I've also read, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I said to see what we have. No, please continue. Yeah, no, I was just going to point out too that um, I read somewhere that gratitude and stress cannot exist simultaneously together. Ooh. Yeah. I'd love to see that. I know. If you can stay in a place of gratitude, you will literally be out of any kind of stress in that moment. So when you find yourself getting stressed about something, pause, what am I grateful for? And just start thanking things. I'm working on that in my relationship as well. Cool. Uh, You know, when you get to a heated place of pause, what are the good things in our relationship? Let's say them out loud right now in the middle of a fight. (laughs) Um, You guys do that together? We're working on it. (laughs) But yeah, because because it, well he'll okay, he would say that he's like but let's talk about the good things like with an angry voice <laughs> um and I think it's, really, 
Well, but that's fine. I think that it's important. It's important that when you're in those heated moments with anyone in your life to say, Hey, this is hard. I appreciate you. I, um, I love ABC about you, you know? And once again, how is that about ourselves? Mm. You know, how are we, you know, I have so many people who message me and say, I don't love myself. And I'm like, first of all, what does that mean? I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see. That's heartbreaking. Um, It's common. And yeah, I, I definitely have seen that. That's heartbreaking nonetheless. (laughs) And you'll see it you'll see it the more you get into the coaching world and the more people you talk to, it's everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere, people looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And you know, I used to be the same. I look in the mirror and point out all of my flaws. Me too. All the flaws that my mom used to tell me. No. <laughs> oh, I tell myself the flaws that the girls in Catholic school told me. <laughs> Precisely. My... Yeah critical Jewish mother telling me what plastic surgery I'll need when I grow up. Oh gosh. (laughs) Well, I think you're beautiful by the way. Thank you. I think I'm beautiful too. And I think you're beautiful. Yay! I know. Um, I think I am too. (laughs) And, and you know, I tell so many people that they're beautiful. I use the word all the time, not to, you know, be, give generalized compliments, but because when you, you know, when you are a light worker, you do see people's souls and you do see the inner and you want to bring out the inner confidence, but it's really interesting when people can't hear it. Mm. We did this in, in, I'm in the second level. I think it's funny, like levels of certifications, Uh, (laughs) the second level of the story work stuff. And we had one session where there's like 35 coaches in the group for um, Mark, the, um, our teacher went one by one, each person and gave a compliment to everyone. And we had to say, we got to say, thank you and mean it. Mm. Very interesting. The people who had trouble saying thank you. Yeah, I bet. You know, and you could see when they, when, when they went, thank you, or uh, thank you they would take their pens out because we're all doing the same work, take their pens and write what just happened. Like, hmm, why was that hard for me to hear? Ooh. Uh, so it's, and that's a lot of what I work with my clients on. Um, it's funny when we get to the wins part, so we don't get to the, the good stuff until we've cleared out all the bad stuff, but there are times when we're in the good stuff and they can't hear it. So we mm. go, where's coming from? Why not? Oh, you know what? my mom used to say something like this to me. And I think that I'm still living it. Cool. Let's, let's work through that story. So you're never finished with this work. No. Which is beautiful. It makes life interesting. Like what an adventure, like what am I going to experience next? What am I going to learn next? Ooh, yes. What am I going (laughs) to learn next? It's funny. Somebody described this to me. They're like, oh, you do shadow work. And I was like, What's shadow work? I've been using that term lately too. <laughs> He's like, oh, please talk about it. Yeah. Well, you, are you asking me? <laughs> I thought you were continuing. Yeah, I, I looked it up a little bit. It's Carl Jung's work, but I have not. 
um, dug into it much. So I've kind of got my own theories developed about it. So I haven't really dug into Carl Jung's work, but in the context of light working, you know, light working is helping you find your inner light and seeing that light in others and helping them see their inner light and just shining that light. And I think people like we kind of get caught up in this. I, I don't know, people like me, I'm assuming people like you, it's like we're trying to strive for the positive. We're trying to overcome the negative. We're trying to build that love and light and just shine that light on the world. But we can't forget that there are shadows that that light needs to shine on. And it's those shadows that are important too. It's all part of that contrast. And I really love the quote that you can't really appreciate the light without knowing the darkness. You don't know what light is without knowing what darkness is. So shadow work helps you dig into, in my opinion, shadow work helps you dig into that darkness to know what that darkness is, to know why that darkness is present in your life, to know why these shadows are cast so that when that light is shined to illuminate those shadows and that darkness, you appreciate that light and its power and its worth and what it brings to you that much more. Wow. And that's precisely it. You can't illuminate the light until you acknowledge your shadows. Yes. Pause, I'm writing it down. Yeah, write, write that down. Anybody <laughs> else listening, write that down. Write that down. <laughs> write it down somewhere. Look at it every yeah. day. And it's funny um, talking about this. I've been processing my ideas for my second novel. And that's really the theme I'm wanting to dig into is the light versus the shadow, the light versus the dark, you know, those polarities and understanding that one can't exist without the other. Light is nothing without something to contrast it. You know, you have to understand both sides of the coin, basically, and digging into that and exploring that. So yes. fun stuff. <laughs> it is fun. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit of a freak and I really enjoy growth. I enjoy getting uncomfortable. I'm the same, I know. <laughs> like I said that to my, to a friend, I was like, why don't people like getting uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I understand I've been in the place before where I didn't want to be uncomfortable, but now it's like, Ooh, so many wonderful things can happen from that place of discomfort. Let's push it. <laughs> Well, it's our egos. Our egos really don't want to move. And that's also what story work is. It's rewriting your ego. It is oh, rewriting your identity. Yeah. That ego. Hmm. That's a whole topic we could dive into. It's funny. Eight months ago, I didn't even know what the ego was. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. And now I'm like acknowledging it all the time when somebody all says something and I get like lizard brain when I get angry at it quickly. Hmm. Like, what yeah. just there? What's going on in my body? Yes. Lizard brain. Yeah. Yeah. Explained that way before, but that's, that's a good way to put it. It, it, it is the, the ego is just flat out self-serving. You know, a lot of people talk about narcissism and I think like the ultimate narcissist is the person whose ego has 100% taken over to where there's no room for the higher self to enter in and say, Hey, let's think about others here instead of being 100% on the self-serving path to feed the ego. What's really interesting about story work is like its original purpose is turning down victim mentality, mm. which it's, it all is. It's, it's turning down the woe is me and turning and giving yourself power to change your life. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's funny that narcissism is the most extreme version of victim mentality. So mm -hmm. when you meet a narcissist, which 
um, I hope it's okay that you and I both have, hope yeah. you and I both have, yeah. um, to then go, oh, what stories are they telling themselves about this right now? Mm-hmm. What ways are they looking at everything is out to get them, that there's a target on their back at all times? We right. all have that. We all feel that, but it's a whole other level with uh, somebody with the disorder. Yeah, definitely. And it's so cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible to delve into it. I mean, I, I have a sense of compassion for the people who are the full-blown narcissists who are trapped in that ego and that victim mentality. You know, like what horrible things have happened to them in their lives or what horrible things have happened to their parents who passed that horrible stuff down to them that they're trapped in that. You know, what a miserable place to be. And there's this... <clears throat> You know, it's really interesting is I once had a conversation with somebody that I said, uh, we're having a fight. And I was like, um, I shouldn't use the word fight. We're having a disagreement. Yeah. And I was like, you are living in victim mentality right now. And when you, once you decide to get help for it, I really think that you're going to grow. And they said, would you call a Holocaust survivor? A, would you not say that, would you say to them they're living in victim mentality? Very interesting. That day I was listening to a Brene Brown podcast and I don't remember her name but she was a holocaust survivor and um the guest that she had and this guest went on and on and said we are not victims Mm. but once you release the identity of the victim that is when you take your life back and I was like dang it (laughs) (laughs) and growing up in a in a Jewish household um I always found that strange that the that that was a part of the conversation of like, we're victims, we're victims, we're victims. I was like, we're not victims. Yeah. I grew up in South Florida in, in a, in a, what I call little New York. Like there's, there's no victims there, but we, as you know, there's so, and there's so many um, large groups of people that are the same way. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes the power out of you. It does. When you're in victim mode, you are disempowering yourself. Yeah. So it's positive to get out of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love it when people say that things happened for them, not to them. (laughs) Like things did happen for you. My birth trauma happened for me, not to me. My divorce happened for me, not to me. You know, all of those things that happen in life are for you, for you to grow, for you to deepen your self-discovery and that self-knowing and that self-worth and find that inner power. Mm-hmm. And what's so hor- horrible about that? What's so bad about that? I'm, <laughs> I don't want to be a victim and miss out on all of that. Yeah. Well, because people, you know, <clears throat> want to, are, are afraid to take life by the reins, are afraid to say, I can control it because it's, it's so much easier to sit back and let life happen. Yeah. It is so much easier to some people, to me, not so much. I don't find that easy at all. I find it much easier to take control. Oh, absolutely. Especially and, when you find out you can actually take control. Exactly. And what's funny is I've, now that I've taken control of my life, I am living my dream life. I have a business that I absolutely adore. I have clients who are friends. Yeah. yeah. I only work with clients who I will, who I could see myself having a glass of wine with, you I know? And yeah, me too. I love <laughs> all of my clients. Um, and I'm training to climb mountains this summer. 
Oh, yay. Good. I know you talked about that before. I'm excited for you. I want to hear all the stories. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited. Right now I'm, you know, I'm, it's funny. I was a dancer for many years, a performer for many years, and I never felt like I trained for anything. Hmm. You know, I was in training. I wasn't a training program, but there was always something missing, like a passion for, um, a passion for bettering myself that was missing. And now that I know that like uh, being a climber is who I'm meant to be, I am motivated to go running. I don't like running, but somebody told me, my climbing partner told me, oh, you do need to do cardio for one. You need to get respiratory endurance for when you're like, you know, 6,000 feet altitude. Um, (laughs) And two, if, if someone goes down, if you're with a climbing partner and they go down and you're two miles in and there's no phone service, you're running. And I was like, oh wow. my God, literal survival mo- road. mode, mode, yeah. survival mode. <laughs> <laughs> That's intense. Holy crap. Super intense. So, you know, talk about motivation. So like, you're running now? Yes. I'm aiming to run. I've been so sore this week. So I have not run this week, but aiming to run one, one to two times a week with weight training, with yoga and with climbing. Go you. Well, I, you know, but what else is there to do right now? I work, I, <laughs> I talk to friends. Um, I'm starting my TikTok now. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I've delved into the world of TikTok. <laughs> oh, please text me your handle. I have no idea what I'm doing. Ah, it's so weird. I feel like I've only known TikTok as like this place where 12 year old girls do challenges and dances to the t- trending songs. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, no, but there is a whole universe out there for any and every interest under the sun. I mean, my boyfriend was on deer hunting TikTok. Like people are posting like antlers they found out in the woods and in the fields. I was like, what? Deer hunters are TikToking? What? This isn't just a bunch of 12 year old girls on this platform. <laughs> After this, I'm going to make a few videos around well, like victim mentality and around. And, and so I have it for the next week to start posting every day. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking for, to start getting inspiration from coaches and from uh, health professionals. I yeah. just, you know, I think I just get so burnt out from social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today I was like, all right, I'm doing it. I texted my VA and I was like, I'm doing it. Here's my accountability. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am at Jamie Christine 11. So <laughs> 11 makes sense. Yep. Social numbers. <laughs> I am at the creative story worker. Cool. Yeah. It's fun. It's weird to have like a brand. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty much just using my name, but I kind of like it. I mean, it's my, it started out as my author name. Uh, which is actually kind of a fun story too. Uh, I was going by, my last name is Heidel, H-E-I-D-E-L. I was going to go by uh, J.C. Heidel as my author, but my legal name isn't Heidel. That's my maiden name. I kept my name from my marriage, which now doesn't feel like it's my name because that's my ex-husband's name. And I just got all kinds of confused because then I was like, okay, so that last name isn't me because that's him but it's my kid's last name. But then if I go back to Heidel, that's technically my dad's last name. But this so much of my story was inspired by my maternal grandmother too, because she has a lot of elements of it in there. But none of her last name is in the name Heidel. So I'm like, wait a minute, what what happened here? What is this big 
patriarchal system of this last name situation. Now, all of a sudden, I felt like I didn't have any identity at all. <laughs> it was this whole big mess. I went through it for about a few days. But um, anyway, I settled on Jamie Christine because I was like, that is my name. That's the name that was made for me, given to me by my parents. And it has no associations with anybody else. It's just mine. I was like, yeah, I like that. It kind of correlates to that journey of self-discovery I've been on and taking me back and marching to my drum and that whole journey. So that's kind of my brand now too. It's just Jamie Christine. It's just me. It's so interesting. The power of a name, the power of the word, the power of a name. Yeah. It's own kind of spell. It is. It is. And it really messed with my head when I started exploring what is my author name going to be on this book? That last name has, I mean, and I love my family. I love my dad's side of the family. They're amazing. But like I said, my maternal grandmother inspired a lot of the story. So it's like, ah, where'd this name go? My mother took my dad's name and left her parents' name behind. But my grandmother took her husband's name and left her parents' name behind and so on and so forth. It's like, wait a minute, girls, what are we doing? What are we doing? Exactly. There's, um, there are some cultures where you take the mother's last name. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember what they are. I mean, my kids will have my last name. So that's already, yeah. I don't know who I will be having kids with, but <laughs> I will have my last name because there's aren't many Sagittarios left. Oh, well then. Yeah. So, that's so. a pretty cool name that needs to get passed down. Right. <laughs> That's what yeah. I, I also, funny, when I was five years old, um, my parents went to LA Fitness and I would go to the kids club at LA Fitness. And I remember this so well. Um, the woman there, she told me, you have a great last name, never change it. And I Ooh. stuck with me. And ah. I have that, every boyfriend I've had, I've said, listen, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, if it ever gets to that point. Yeah. I will um, not be taking your name. <laughs> and you'd be lucky to have fun (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to look at it (laughs) just to add a little bit of sass on a Thursday afternoon (laughs) (laughs) oh I love it uh we've been at this for almost an hour uh do you have anything else you want to add or anything fun to throw in there I feel like you and I could talk for hours and hours. We could. We should just do another podcast together and just entertain everybody with more of our conversation. Absolutely. I'd love to talk about wins and, and language work as well, what we call it, core language upgrade and why it's so important, um, as well as people-pleasing. You do say that you're a people, you are working with people-pleasing creatives. And yeah. I love that. The people-pleasers are the ones that are, they seem to be very out of touch with themselves. Yeah. I mean, codependence mm-hmm. as well, codependence and people pleasers. And, um, there's a really high correlation between people pleasers and people with chronic pain Ooh. and our, all three. We're always looking for external validation. We're always looking for other people to tell us that we're good enough, that our work is good enough. So there's a lot of self-doubt there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be detrimental to your health, definitely progress into your life. So it's really cool to see how all of these align in, in the people I work with and in myself and how the more I go down my own journey, um, the more I'm able to guide others on theirs. Yes. I love that. I've definitely found that in myself too. I've just started this interactive journaling method. So I don't know. I 
don't think I talked about that very much. Um, but yeah, it, it is work through written word. Um, it's in the style of a journal, but I call it kind of like the good version of Tom Riddle's diary for the Harry Potter fans. Um, <laughs> because it's that journal that you can just unload your thoughts, unload your feelings, dump those emotions, process it. But then it's shared in a document between myself and the client so that I can read what they processed with brain dump to whatever they put into their journal. And then I can take elements of it and respond to like, let's delve into this a little bit. Why do you say this about yourself? Or why do you believe this? Or why do you think this happened? And offer them some different perspectives, some opportunities to look at different angles and then dig, dig into it a little deeper. And there's an ongoing correspondence that can be anywhere from a week to eight weeks or more. And it's just that opportunity to experience journaling, but take it to that next level to where they get some productive feedback. Mm -hmm. And it's super powerful. And then back to like what you were saying about your own personal journey too. I've learned so much about myself through helping people on their processing through their journaling. Mm -hmm. Like when I respond to some of their thoughts and their concepts and their perspectives, I'm like, ooh, why do I think this way? Why do I feel, where did that thought come from? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. I have a goal to hit 1000 story work sessions. Mm. I'm at 48, I think 40 something. That's pretty good. So if you're listening to this, I have some big goals and <laughs> I, I have selfishly a lot to grow within myself through guiding you to grow within yourself. So if you're listening to this and you've got some trauma you need to get out of your body, you've got some self-doubt that you need to work through, hit me up. Let's, let's work through it. Definitely. Talk to Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I think, oh, there we go. It froze. We're good. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm still working my way through school, but I love that you set that goal for yourself. Cause now you got my gears turning like, Ooh, I need to set myself some goals. Like how many interactive journalers do I want to have by the end of this year? Mm -hmm. So yeah. So we're plugging our services here. Definitely check out www.jamiechristine.com and some way to process your emotions as well. But I'm definitely going to be checking into this story work because I can sense my next novel blossoming just from, mm -hmm. from processing some of this internalized junk I'm still carrying. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah, so cool. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that. Um, great. So I don't have anything else for that. I could say in four minutes, honestly, honestly, yeah, me neither. <laughs> but yeah, I will make sure that any you have social media handles any kind of oh you're totally uh information websites cast youtube video so people can find us and and yeah work on shining our light on the world i, I couldn't Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. Yeah, I, I guess it's a sign from the universe that uh, we should wrap this up because it looks like our kitchen's getting choppy. Uh, but thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I got me. that. Can you hear me? You're very welcome. For <laughs> thank you for being I'm so excited. We'll see you next time. <laughs>